Welcome to the third edition of Transformation Talks. My name is David Lancefield, and my aim is to explore the topic of transformation through the lens of a diverse group of people who've driven, lived through, or studied transformation in their own ways. We'll give you some ideas, some research and experience to help you develop better strategies, more effective leadership, and healthier cultures in your organization. Or at least that's the intention. I'm really happy to be talking today with Kathleen Saxton. Kathleen's a flautist, a mother, psychotherapist, founder of a business, leader, speaker and writer, and indeed a human being, no less. Kathleen founded The Lighthouse Company, the leading talent agency for the media industry back in 2009. She works with startups, corporate celebrities, entrepreneurs and the private equity fraternity. She's also a former executive at Saatchi's and Virgin Radio. Wow, <laughs> deep breath. It's truly wonderful to be with you today, Kathleen. As I said, you transform businesses in the industry you operate in. You work closely with senior executives who try to do the same. I'd really like to delve into your experiences, particularly you've founded businesses, and particularly in terms of the psychology of transformation and, and mental health as well. You've talked eloquently about real and genuine transformation. No fake transformations here. What's the difference between the two? and How do you know? The difference, of course, sounds obvious, but is important, which is about congruency and about authenticity. When someone really brings something that they are deeply passionate about, have values based in and are adamant about the vision that they hold, you can feel it when you sit with them or you sit in a room with them or you're pitched to by them or you meet them at a drinks party and you you leave their company feeling that something of what they're trying to do or bring is somehow left around you, with you, on you. And I think when I feel that, I know that I'm in the presence of someone who is determined to make a change or a difference, whether that's in a corporate setting, a human being setting, as you said. I think it's something that's very much felt and I think in the age of the fact the robots are coming, which I'm sure we'll come mm. on to at some point, there is still no um, replacement for that emotional energy you feel when you are with someone who is ready to or is about to or is in the middle of making change. It's interesting if you look at around some, some leaders do that, right? Um, particularly those who are perhaps a little bit more curious, a bit more humble uh, and give more of themselves. But many don't. Many hide behind masks. Or they're just they're running fast all the time and you talk about bravery so there's a certain degree of bravery uh, both in terms of taking on the role or leading transformation um, why do you think leaders stop being brave or you know, they struggle with it? I think there's two things, a bit of a hobby horse for me. I think two things. I wonder in the last decade or so whether or not we've allowed leaders, whether we've managed to grow leaders to have autonomy in the way that they used to. So therefore, are they allowed or are they put in positions where they actually can make decisions that may bring change or whether or not the corporate um, structuring and ratio management and all the other things we have to adhere to in corporate structures whether we allow those individuals to exercise their individuality as a leader as well from an autonomy point of view. I think the other thing is with the word bravery, and, and sometimes I sort of get chased down the road on the word bravery, because I think people sometimes translate that as being only charismatic. And I don't think that's mm. true. I think great leadership can be charismatic, but that doesn't mean it's brave. I think some very brave leaders are those that are willing to stand by their opinion. They're willing to stand by a vision that they can see. They're willing to make very difficult decisions. And an example of that, I think, in transforming businesses right now, particularly in, in the sector I specialise in in media, there's lots of legacy businesses that need to make deep change. Mm. 
And the question with that is, are there parts of that business, that P&L, that need to be sort of taken out the back and shot, but nobody wants to do it, but it needs to be done? And what are the new paths that need to be built and, and to some degree built at speed? Because there probably isn't a silver bullet, unfortunately, and change isn't always fast, but there has to be a letting go sometimes in order to start something new. And I think we are often, particularly in the media industry, out of ego states and pride and brands and the many things that we love, we sometimes ignore um, the need to stop something as much as to start something. The transformation, wherever you start, whatever you do, and whether you are charismatic or not, as you say, um, it's a lot more demanding of the person involved. Yeah, demanding of self, I would say, and therefore knowing yourself is so critical to that as an individual because it will touch on the values of what you're willing or not willing to do. That that classic saying of a principle's not a principle until it costs you something. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are noticing that in some of the changes that are required now because it asks of yourself as a leader to question where do I really sit with this? What do I really believe about this? And even if I'm the only one on that current board that sees it differently, am I willing to stand by that? To me, that's real bravery because you're being true to self. Absolutely. But in some way, if the, if the consciousness around the importance of who you are, what you can give to the organisation, what you can give your, if you like, your best self to a transformation is, that is there, there's still quite a gap between, if you like, leaders and those around who sort of say, oh, I get all that, but come on, just just focus, you know, give more, push harder. So in a way, there's a bit of a gap between sort of knowing and doing. Yep. And I just wonder how, how do you think that's going to be addressed? It's back to the urgent versus important, isn't it? And I think most of us that deal with um, retail clients or FMCG clients right now, for example, will look at, you know, we used to look at the year results or the quarterly results and suddenly now we're just pushing monthly sales numbers, like everything's becoming quite yeah. myopic because yes. of the pressures on businesses. And so back to the point about, well, how do we how do we really address that and make that change? Is it about whether or not you can allow to build in that investment time and space where a business, for example, is given um, a period of 18 months to actually make the changes and recover? There's quite a well-known newspaper group right now, which is in the midst of that, where they have the ability to um, carve out an 18-month period of investment, less pressure on delivery of um, profit and revenue results because they're building something for the future. And the CEO of that organisation has said to me, my legacy needs to be the digital um, readership of my publication. That's my legacy. And I have to do whatever I need to do to get that done. And I won't always be popular in the short term with various you know, shareholders or owners. But if they really want to transform that business, they had to take that deep breath. It's refreshing for a leader in the midst of transformation to talk about, in this case, his legacy. That's, that's relatively rare and meaningfully yeah. as opposed to sort of glib. Absolutely. Glib so to your point about the gap, I think there's also the gap between where the leader may see that and or the board versus all of the people that need to execute that. And can you genuinely bring them with you? So to your point about you need to work faster, harder, mm. don't go on holiday, all the other things that happen. The truth is there are periods of time where you need to ask extraordinary things of your people. But I think if they know that there's a there's a plan for that, there is a, a period of time that that's required to get through to the other end, and you're honest and vulnerable about that as a leader, they're more likely to do it for you and with you. If it's all either glossing over as in everything's fabulous, yeah. or if you don't do this, 
you know, it's all going to go wrong. Or it's going to go on for years and years and years, no end in sight. Absolutely. And or you won't be rewarded for it, by the way, because you're just one of the minions. That's where you see the disconnect and the fracturing and the splitting that goes on between the ambitions of the business, the board, the leader versus the people that are actually going to get you to execute it. And they have to be connected. They have to be aligned. And that's what I can see go wrong sometimes. Yeah. You use the word vulnerability in what you just said. How vulnerable should people be? How much disclosure should people be? Because I've wrote to the range of people, very, very successful in lots of different ways, from, but at the same time, hardly know anything about them. And I don't just mean talking about their families or their passions, but you'd know a bit about their character and how they talk and how they convey their behaviours, but very about themselves outside work. To others where it's so in your face, you know absolutely everything, it's quite hard to digest sometimes. Yeah. So I'm not looking for an equation or an algorithm. Um, but so how much how much disclosure, how much vulnerability yeah. should you should you give? I think with most things, my favourite word is obviously continuums. I love the idea that we're all on various continuums and I think that people do and, and will be vulnerable in different ways. What I am seeing, and I think we see this again as human beings just in the world, in society right now, when we understand more about somebody, we tend to find ourselves being able to stand a little closer to them. So even people that have a very different opinion to you, you may violently disagree about various pieces. Um, you may not like the way they behave, for example, in business or personally, but sometimes when you understand why that may be happening, what some of their backstory may be, what some of their previous experience has have been, we tend to be a little bit more compassionate about them. So my view is that rather than get frustrated by people, we need to be fascinated by people because that tends to bring us to a different space with them. And, you know, I, I will interview, my business interviews about 5,000 people a year in my clinical practice. Um, I see hundreds of people every year that have all sorts of differing reasons to be coming to sit with me. And, you know, I'm also human that there's not there's not everybody that I relate to. There's not everybody that I instantly like. But when I do, when they allow you to, to understand more about them, then I think there's a huge gift in that. But I think what we can do about that is to be willing to go first. And I think as leaders, if we are willing to show some of our own vulnerability first, we only encourage others to do the same. It's what we would call appropriate risk. Are you, I know, yeah. yes, to the point, you know, telling everybody everything. I was always told the best thing, the best advice for a first date is to not bring everything. And I think that's right. So the same, I think, in business is that you you decide what the appropriate risk is. At what point and to what level will you be willing to show your vulnerability? But in my experience, the majority of the time, others then come forward and share a little bit of their own story. I mean, within that, you have to look after people um, and especially in knowledge businesses, Obviously, physical health is important, but mental health is important too. A lot of initiatives around that, often on the back of crises or problems, and particular sad, you know, sad and tragic events. Yeah. Where do you think we're at in terms of um, leaders, particularly in transformational contexts? How, how do you think they're doing in nurturing and protecting mental health? I think they are awake to it. I think that we are probably only 20% of the way through where we need to be. I think on the physical health, we've got better at being able to name and talk about even, let's say, cancer. You know, we didn't talk about cancer in the office 15 years ago. We have moved to becoming much more open and willing to talk about physical difficulty in whatever form that takes. I think for mental health, we need to be exactly in the same space in the same way that if you have a, you know, a, a personal trainer or you have an intellectual business coach and you're kind of proud to say you're going to those two places. I think people certainly in England still 
still struggle to say, I'm off to see my therapist. And I think until we can get to a point where we are as um, appreciative and proud to say, of course, I'm looking after my mental health and the same I look after my physical body. You know, our cognitive part is 50% of who we are and it pretty much drives our body. So if that is not 100% well or certainly being looked after to try and have that ambition, then we are ignoring a very critical part. I think that the difficulty I experience both through Lighthouse and through psychs, our psychotherapy businesses, it often gets pushed to the HR departments or yes. the talent uh, department or the people, chief people officer who do incredible roles. But actually, my experience is if the CEO of these businesses is willing to be very open about their own uh, connections to mental well-being, mental health, whole self development, funnily enough, the rest of the company moves faster to get to a better, more healthy space. We did an event um, about a year and a half ago where we filmed 10 CEOs um, who on camera said they'd had uh, psychotherapy. They talked about being better parents, better wives, better husbands, better leaders. And in the room on that night, you know, you could have heard a pin drop because 500 people in our industry were staggered that 10 people that they all knew very well would publicly say on camera, I've had psychotherapy. And on some ways it was glorious, but in another, for me, it was incredibly disappointing that that was the reaction. And um, a lot of people were quite quiet in that evening. I think it touched a lot of people that knew that maybe it's something they either had had or really wanted, but were trying to find their way to do it in a way that didn't make them feel that they had some level of weakness. I think we connect weakness or stigma still in the UK and that's the bit we've got to get through. Mental health is normally a, a negative, it's a it's a problem or an issue as opposed to the, as you say, the well-being part of it. Of and course. and if you go through the logic as you did, it's sort of you're in a knowledge business in whatever shape and form of organization you're in, being healthy is critical for great ideas, being productive, it's, it's an obvious equation. It's an obvious equation. I think obviously we also bandy around stats around, you know, one in four, etc. I think that's nonsense. I think it's one in one because, again, if you look to the continuum of mental health, at one end, yes, you've got psychosis and schizophrenia and some things that really need medicated help. But at the other end, we've got anxiety. I don't think I interview a CEO in my day job that doesn't have some level of anxiety or can't say, if I look back two years, what's expected of me, the pace I work at, the amount of workload I've got, the expectations on me are greater than they were even two years ago, never mind 10. And so therefore there is a cost to that and the cost tends to come towards our physical mental well-being. So my view is if someone says I never get stressed and I never get anxious, I'm probably a bit more concerned about them than someone that says that they have because I wonder where it's going in their body. Yeah, or well, how much they're hiding. I guess the challenge is on transformations, okay, in whatever context, there's the there's the actual pressure, self-imposed pressure, the momentum, the expectation. You're very visible as a leader. People are watching you all the time from employees to investors to everyone else. Um, how do you create the space, apart from having a, a problem, a health scare, which yeah. does happen. How do you get the space to just pause and stop and either change the way you are, think about other aspects of your life? How do you, and how have you done it? You know, because you, you have a 
incredibly busy life. You have lots of different roles. How do you create the space when you're transforming either, you know, the Lighthouse or other organisations you've been involved in? I think it's been difficult for me at times to follow my own advice. Um, and I think, but I've managed to find ways to do it. It comes back to natural things, which is about boundaries. So it comes back to if I'm not okay, then I can't look after anybody else. And there's a lovely parable about a circle of people that all need to be fed. And there's one pot and there's this spoon. And how do they do it? They can't feed themselves, but they can feed each other. So to me, I always um, bring it back to a similarity of if you're on an airplane and the pressure goes, they always say you've got to put your own mask on first. And you do because you can't help other people. You can't lead other people unless you're okay. And I think we were up in the 80s, 90s. We kind of believed that speed was the badge and busyness was the badge that we had to wear. And I certainly bought into that, the idea. But of course, then we started getting burnt out and we started getting sick and we realised that it wasn't good for us. So it is about boundaries. And I think, again, particularly if you're on the throes of transforming a business, there's a few things, aren't there? Having the space and time to think because our best creativity comes from when we are quiet often. And when we people talk about having their best ideas in the bath or the shower, there's no surprise to that because it's time when you tend to be on your own. And it's a moment in the day where you are either preparing for the day or you're ending your day. And so therefore, it's chance for creative ideas, for innovation, for those moments of eureka to actually come in. So creating the space to think, time to think, you know, Nancy Klein's model, I think is it's important that we make that time for ourselves, most certainly. You've then got the collaborative thought, which is, you know, for everybody to contribute to that idea, to build on that idea, to, to steal and build, I think is also important. So where do you create the time and space for your team together with you to yes. invent as a team together rather yes. than have something enforced on them is important as well. I think the other thing I've noticed, actually, as a, a headhunter is people are starting to take their holidays over the last couple of years. Wow. Which how is, is that? How, how amazing. So if you look at the research actually that Harvard and Stanford did a joint piece of research about 18 months ago, and it showed that most managers and leaders are um, nullifying their holiday by working 29 extra days a year, whether that's via three extra hours at night or cutting short a holiday or not taking all their holiday allowance. But when you accumulate it, they're nullifying 29 days. So they're basically not taking the holiday that they're due. It's quite staggering. And actually, when we look at ourselves, probably we've all been guilty at some point of doing that. I just want to sort of change tack a little bit because in terms of the, the beginnings of transformation journeys, it can often be quite sort of both exciting and frightening. Yeah. And exciting in terms of what you could potentially build, but frightening is like, what's your first move? What's your first step? Well, where do I start? And looking back, and we've known each other for a number of years, you've made a pretty sort of bold moves. You'll always dismiss them as, oh, no, it wasn't that bold. But, I mean, take, for example, um, Advertising Week, which is one of your one of your yeah. ventures. You attended it in New York. You approached Matt Schechner. Uh, the rest is history. But one year later, I think I'm right in saying, yeah. Adweek Europe, which is a huge event, highly successful. Yeah. How did you, and that's transformational in terms of taking something into Europe, building a place for creatives. Yeah. I'm sounding like yourself, Adrian. The, uh, <laughs> but how do you stop feeling overwhelmed at the beginning when you're trying to do something genuinely new and how do you know where to start? So interestingly, I never feel overwhelmed at the beginning. I normally feel overwhelmed sort of three quarters of the way through when there's no way back. 
Oh, and I'm feeling the enormity of the sort of imminent birth. So I guess I'm sort of, in a corporate sense, I'm sort of seven months pregnant. At that point, I then start to feel overwhelmed. I think I'm very excitable at the beginning. I'm, I'm a naturally good fire starter. I'm very curious. I've got a lot of energy, natural energy. I'm very lucky for that. But actually, Advertising Weeks um, is probably quite uh, symbolic of what we've been discussing because on one hand, Matt Schechner, um, for me emotionally, was someone that I really felt I understood. He is very willing to be his own man. We used to have a signal whereby if he was, if I could notice that our clients were getting bored or he was talking too much, I would turn my bracelets and it was my elegant way of saying to him, it's time to zip it. So we had this hilarious sort of duo that would go to these meetings together. But I think it worked and it was his vision and his creativity and I guess our joint bravery in a way. My view was that we didn't have an event like this in Europe. I really felt that our industry needed it. We needed the celebration of it. We needed the um, collaboration that came within it. And we needed to remind ourselves at a pretty tricky time in the industry that there was still really good stuff that was happening. Yes. There was a lot of innovation, uh, certainly in the tech side, that many leaders weren't willing to admit they didn't understand. So to sit in some great um, auditoriums and be trained under the auspices of being at a conference was a brilliant way of people getting a one-on-one, -on -one, a 101 rather in how to work really Instagram to or how to yeah. work, you know, ads live or whatever. So it was a way of people being able to, in some ways, normalize leveling, which was whether you're a graduate, whether you're a global CEO, you might be sitting next to each other in an auditorium listening to a boxer talk about how to come back from adversity or whatever the topic may have been. So he had that vision and bravery, um, but he also has great authenticity. He's not yes. willing to deviate from what he believes. And I actually find great safety in those people because I really know where I stand with them. So he was a great partner. When you're in those moments when you're going through some form of transformation, you're coming up to launch or you're coming to a moment where oh, the anxiety still kicks in, and it does for all of us, Yeah. where do you turn? So I have what I call the board I can't afford. So there are a the set of people, the board I can't afford. So there are a set of people that have very differing skills and personalities that I really feel very, very safe with. And it takes me a while, given my backstory of a very difficult childhood, it takes me a while to feel that I'm safe with someone. But once I am, I'm, I'm in and I'm, I'm locked in with them. So on one hand, it could be an incredible girlfriend who I can ring up in tears at 11 o'clock at night saying the whole thing's going to go wrong and our reputation and our investment and everything else is hanging on this, who will beautifully, kindly listen to me with great compassion, not try and offer me any advice because there's no point, but can receive my anxiety and my concern in a very loving way. On the other hand, I can ring um, one of my mentors who is highly financial, highly cutthroat, very much into delivery, and he can normalise for me um, the reality of what we're doing and why we almost remind me why we're doing it and just make sure that I'm course correcting anything that may be looking like it could be coming out of shape a little bit. So there is a, a strength, almost a, a parental strength, if you like, yes. in that energy. Yeah. Equally, there'll be, I've got a fantastic coach um, who, again, will understands that I think very fast and I act very fast so she can keep up with me. I uh, find in, in those settings, if someone can't keep up with me, it makes me feel even more unsafe. So I picked a coach who can run as fast as me, which is very, very helpful. Um, and I have the most incredible therapist. My therapist is an Italian uh, Buddhist monk who used to be in a band. So we share our love of music, but actually because I am so fast and I can be quite rational, he is pretty spiritual and he really slows me down. 
So, and I've got probably eight or nine people that are in that board. But just to give you a flavour, they're very different people. Many of them don't know each other, but they're people that I can ring. I could, some of them I could ring at three in the morning and they would be there. And others I could certainly ring with three minutes notice. And I know that they can catch whatever it is I'm bringing and react to me in a way that they know helps me and works for me. And that is the greatest blessing that I have and the people around me that I have That's that. wonderful. It's uplifting, reassuring. Yeah. I was admired the fact you you're not precious about reaching out to people and asking what are what you might think are um, dumb questions. You can use that term, but actually they're really sharp questions. I remember when we worked Virgin Radio, Radio many years ago, yeah. new industry for you, yeah. and you, lots of caveats. But then you ask the researching questions, and there's certainly a degree of humility and indeed bravery, as we talked about earlier, just to sort of reach out either to people or ask the question when actually it's something you don't know yeah. or you need somebody to compliment you. I think that comes back to this sense of self though because I think if we know what we are good at and where we do value ourselves, we can stay in that mm. when we need to put ourselves in vulnerability which is, but I don't really understand at the time I think it was valuing an Ofcom licence yeah. for example yeah, yeah. which I knew nothing about. I remember the first meeting in PwC's offices and me thinking, if anybody asks me a question in this first meeting, I'm done for because I don't really understand what's going on. Mm, but of course, <laughs> but you go away and study and you learn and you ask and by the fourth meeting, I knew exactly what was going on. So it's just a case of being able to sit and I call it sitting in the fire. You know, you sit in the fire of this discomfort. Can you stay close enough to the flame of discomfort long enough to grow yourself into that space and become comfortable. It's very tempting as human beings to run away from things that we don't understand or we feel discomfort around. And actually what I have learned through training as a therapist is to sit with the discomfort because something else happens, something else will move and transform. And I think, you know, back to your podcast sort of theme around transformation, I think it is sometimes the leader's unwillingness or discomfort in sitting in that not knowing and the ambiguity mm. of not being quite sure where we are going to end up yes. that stops them from even taking that journey or continue they kind of retreat back to what we know best as humans we and tend to retreat themselves. yes absolutely actually talking about it and actually bringing other people in to share ideas or actually just being honest and say hey i'm not i'm not sure yeah you don't have to be the hero leader all the time no. you've been very generous in talking about other people who've inspired you, and you've obviously worked with some great people. I have. I've been very lucky. Yeah. And it's quite rare. Other people are not always as generous. It's all about them. What are, What are the one or two things? And those leaders obviously have transformed their own businesses, be highly successful, and also have ups and downs. Yeah, right? absolutely. That's that's real life, right? What What are the one or two takeaways you had from working with those? whether those two people or others. When you have a culture of trust, when you have a a contracting between you as a team that is very trusting proper magic happens in those moments and, and I see it happen often and that again comes back to sometimes it is back to the leader because if we can see their authenticity we have something to hook ourselves into and onto yes. yeah. and we can belong we like to belong as human yeah. beings to something even if that journey is going to be difficult we can hang on to that I think when there's lots of masking and there's lots of pretense and there's lots of glossing over we are, our limbic system will tell us before our prefrontal cortex, rational brain will tell us, our limbic system, our physical body will tell us something's not quite right here. And even if we can't absolutely um, you know, diffuse what it is particularly, there's something that holds us back a little bit. We'll hold something back because we're not quite sure. And I see that so often in corporate businesses. And it's a real shame when it happens because it's kind of catching as well. It catches in a positive way and it can catch in a negative way. 
It feels like we're in a, a period where we're sort of shifting from different leadership styles and capabilities. And yeah, there's sort of people are being awakened. Yeah. There's a greater consciousness. Yes. I'm always inspired by how you talk about your, you know, the psychology of leadership and transformation and, and your inner self and also nurturing and protecting the mental health of the people around you, which is a big theme. And actually, we're just at the early stages of understanding. Absolutely. But at the same time, you're just candid and straight in terms of, you know, you've had success and failures. Some people would hire them away. Uh, how if you're trying to do amazing things, you have to give more of yourself. You have to pick the, you know, the, the imagination of others. Of course you do. And actually be smart and actually quite street smart around the people you need around you to sort of lift you up. Yes. And sometimes, I mean, you don't need other people and you have to move on yeah. from, from people. Sometimes I think when difficult decisions have to be made, I know certainly for myself, when something's a very difficult decision or a painful decision, I will notice I'm probably on the extrovert-introvert scale, although I present as very extrovert, I'm actually quite borderline on, on that scale. When something's very difficult, I tend to move within. I tend to, to go more into myself and I try and really figure out how I'm feeling and I make the decision. I may they go, then go back out and test that with some of my board I can't afford, mm. but I tend to make more difficult decisions alone, interestingly, and that isn't necessarily a right or a wrong thing, but I, I notice that of myself. So again, back to knowing self, because I know that, um, if I worry that sometimes breathing too much of our own air is quite dangerous, right? We have to go and seek um, alternative opinion and perspective. You know, perspective is such a wonderful thing. So sometimes I will take that decision with all its multiple justifications and it's good sometimes to be challenged. And again, having those around you that have a different opinion is a great gift because you can absolutely disregard what they say and you can disregard their opinion, but to at least have allowed it to be heard and to come into that decision-making is incredibly valuable. It's remarkable, isn't it, that the people issues, if you can badge them as such, are the biggest failure of transformation, causes of failure of absolutely. transformation. Yep. Yeah, our understanding and deep understanding, not superficial understanding, deep understanding of the, of the person, the psychology, the way they think, feel and behave, is often sort of laughed away. I think that is changing. It's changing. But it's a bit like a sort of macho, oh, yeah, we'll get to that on the away day. We'll get to that on, once we've gone the real business. Well, this is real business. This is real. Look um, at how much M&A money has been wasted by people buying fantastic businesses and literally destroying them within seconds because they really didn't look at the cultural mm. marriage, if you like. And again, the sort of um, the contracting early on around what is and isn't going to happen for these cultures of businesses. Again, I think it's always been put into the soft measures. Now, whether it's marketing or HR, they tend to be seen as soft measures. But in fact, actually, the positioning of a brand and the the comfort and vision and compassion around your people will be the things that will make those businesses more successful than anything else. It's amazing as we're talking, I'm going through this listening and reflecting and going back through as we're talking and about my own sort of success and failures and every time I speak with you I learn a hell of a lot. Uh, it sort of touches something in terms of something I want to do better. I appreciate the candour which I think is fantastic. Always. Um, and you've done it in lots of different ways. And my sense is you want you want to create people around you who are better as a result of working. It's a sort of positive intent. It's been a privilege speaking with you, learning from you, Kathleen. Pleasure. And there's clearly loads of points around the people, the psychology, the mental health, uh, the depth of understanding of, our, of ourselves in order to fuel transformation. I hope it's relevant to everybody across all walks of life, different roles across business. Please do subscribe to other Transformation Talks via SoundCloud, Acast or iTunes. And indeed, have a look at our Business and Transformation blog on pwc.co.uk.